I want you to open your Bible this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And then we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. And I hope you have your Bible. And I hope you'll uh, follow along because we're going to be just looking at scriptures that will be extremely helpful to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You never can be neutral when you hear the truth. When truth is spoken to you, then you, have, you respond. You respond either by saying yes and obeying, or you respond by saying no and disobeying. There's no way that you could be, quote, neutral when truth is spoken into your hearts. You say, well, no. Now, I know it's truth. Okay, it's truth. But I'm not just going to do anything about it. Well, you just did something about it. You said no. You said, I'm not going to do it. As I read the Word of God, you know what the Bible just says so clearly about truth? In James 1.22, it says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. When the Word of God is spoken in truth, God expects us to obey it. It's to be yes. And you just can't be neutral. In fact, the Bible says, if you hear the word of God, truth, and you don't do it, you deceive yourself. And and that's a bad place to be when you're deceiving yourself. One way you can know what God wants you to do when you hear truth is when you're reading the Bible, and as you read along, and then there comes this word, therefore. T-H-E-R-E-F-O-R-E. Anytime you're reading a passage and it says, and therefore, what God is saying, in light of what I just told you, in light of what I just told you, this is the way I want you to respond. And it is so clear. And today I'm going to take two awesome passages in the Bible. Great passages. Full of tremendous truth. I mean, exciting truth. Truth that gives us great hope. But then as you hear these truths, then God says, well, therefore, in light of this truth, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to respond to the great truth that I've just spoken to you. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, around verse 50, I believe it is, here's the first truth I want to give you. Truth number one. In 1 Corinthians 15... 54, he says, the grave is conquered, death is defeated, therefore. In other words, he's, he's going to give us a great truth about, hey, how the death has been overcome, how the grave has no power over us, and therefore, this is what, the way we're supposed to respond to the truth of eternal life. Here's the first thing he says. Death has been, uh, the grave has been conquered. Death has been defeated. You're going to get a new body. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Look at it. He says, listen, you're going to get a new body. 
Now this I say, brethren, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot go to heaven with this earthly body. But behold, I tell you a mystery. And any time the Bible uses that word, mystery, I'm a, I'm a, it's a truth that I'm going to reveal to you. People have not understood it. It's not like a mystery that can't be solved. It's something that was not really clearly understood, but now I'm going to make it clearly understood. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die a physical death. But we are all going to be changed. Now, So he says, listen, uh, some of us will go in the air to meet Jesus in the rapture. Some of us will walk through the valley of the shadow of death where the physical body ceases to be. He says, we're not all going to die a physical death, but every one of us is going to be changed. And then he describes it. Now listen to the truth. In a moment, just like that, in the twinkling of an eye, man, how quick is that? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Out of that grave, their spirit has already been with Jesus, out of that grave, there was a body that was sown there in corruption, and out of that grave, it's going to be raised an incorruptible body, absolutely perfect, like the one Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He says, you're going to get a new body. Look at verse 53. This corruptible body, this mortal body, will put on incorruption, and this mortal body will put on immorality. Not immorality, God help us. This mortal body shall put on immortality. Woo! I'm glad I caught that one. And this body shall put on immortality. Now here it is in verse 54. When some of my friends, I tell them I made that mistake, I'll never live it down. That's all I got to say. I can promise you. They'll hear about it before the sun goes down. Here we go. In verse 54, so when this corruptible body puts on incorruption and this mortal body puts on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The truth is, the grave has been conquered, death has been defeated. Therefore, we're going to get a new body. And it says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? So the truth is this. Physical death is not the end. This mortal body is, is not the end. We're moving toward an uh, immortal body, and we're moving toward uh, an eternal life in the presence of the living God. So the truth is death is defeated, the grave is conquered, and you are going to get a new body. You'll either get it in the resurrect at, at, the, at the rapture when Jesus comes and we go up in the air, or you'll get it in the resurrection. All right? It describes this new body. Look at verse 50 now. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. You say, well, now, what about this new body we're going to get, Brother Fred? Either in the rapture when Jesus comes, we go to meet him in the air, or we die physically and this body goes back to the dust and we're raised at the resurrection. Well, what kind of what kind of body is it going to be? 
He says, verse 42 now, 1 Corinthians 15. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in incorruption. We, we got a mortal body, folks. It's, it's subject to aging. It's subject to disease. So it says here, so is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. Perfect. Absolutely perfect body. It's sown in dishonor because it's a mortal body and, and because of sin that came into the world through Adam. It's been subject to disease and to death. He said it's sown in dishonor, but it's going to be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, this mortal body, but it's going to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is going to be raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So he says, look, man, you're going to get a new body. Death is conquered. The grave is conquered. Death is defeated. Man, you're going to get a new body. And it's going to be a glorious and glorious body. Now, over in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about exactly how this is going to happen. Now, I'm, I'm giving you a truth, but in a minute, I'm going to get to the therefore. And he says, now, in light of the fact that you that death is defeated and the grave is conquered, this is what I want you to do. This is what I expect you to do. And it's a very profound therefore. Over in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, you don't need to turn. Just listen to what it says. This is what's going to happen. Either in the rapture or the resurrection, you're going to get that new body. It says, 1, Corinthians 4, 6, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, it said the trumpet was going to sound. So that's what he's talking about. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ, those whose physical bodies are in the grave. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive, alive when Jesus comes back. Alive when he comes in the air. We who are alive and remain are going to be caught up. That's the word rapture. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. So, death is defeated. The grave is conquered. And we're going to get a new body. All right, but now, I want you to look at back over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, where it says, death is swallowed up in victory. I want to talk to you about for a moment about the victory that we have over death. And why we have it. It says, death, in verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. You know what he said there? Death got its power because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So death got its sting from sin. And because of sin, there is physical death. It says, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And read on in verse 56. The strength of sin is the law. The, we, the reason we knew the awfulness and the tragedy of sin is because of the moral law of God. You shall have no other gods before me and so forth. And we realized that we couldn't keep that law. So death got its sting and its power from sin. And sin got its power from the fact that there was a moral law of God and we couldn't get, uh, keep it. But he says here, death has lost its sting. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Verse 57, don't miss it. Well, then how in the world 
do we overcome the sting of sin? How do we overcome the strength of the law? He says it. How do we have victory over death? How do we get a new body, a glorious body for eternity in heaven? How do we have that kind of victory? Verse 57, thanks be to God. Oh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death, over the grave. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why you can spend eternity in heaven with a new and glorified body? You know why you can look death in the eye and say, death, you have lost your sting? Grave, you've lost your power. You know why? Because of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus won the victory over death. Jesus conquered the grave. And there is no victory apart from the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ on the cross took every one of your sins and took him upon himself and died on the cross in your place, bore your sins in his body on that tree. You see, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came and he took your sin. He took your wages. And through his shed blood, through his sacrifice on the cross for your sin, Jesus Christ won the victory over death. And then that victory was declared when God raised him from the dead. So you have victory over death. You have victory over the grave. You can look forward with great anticipation to the day, whether you go in the air to meet Jesus or he raises you from an earthly grave. You have that great assurance. One day, man, I'm going to be with the Lord. And one day I'm going to have a new and glorified body. And I'm going to spend eternity forever in the presence of God. Heaven is that place. But it's all because of the cross. It's all because Jesus died in my place. And it's all because God raised him from the dead. And because he lives, I have victory over death and over the grave. Because I'm going to tell you what, every one of us need to know that. Because every one of us, unless Jesus comes back, will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, the Bible says that if Jesus hadn't died and rose, we'd still be in our sins. There are a couple of verses in chapter 15. Listen at verse 14. Just, just listen to it. You want, to, you want to turn, you can. If Christ is not risen, now listen to this. Your preaching is empty and your faith is empty. In other words, if somebody says, well, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. That's not true. God declared that he accepted the sacrifice of Christ when he raised him from the dead. Had Jesus continued in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, he would just been like any other religious, quote, leader. But he's the son of God. God manifest in the flesh. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was the only one that could die in our place and pay for our sins. And God said, I accept his sacrifice because I raised him from the dead. And that's why Paul said in 1554, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and your faith is not empty. Boy, look down in verse 17. You want to see how important the resurrection of Jesus is? It says in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, 
Your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. That is a sobering statement. He said, if Jesus isn't risen, your faith is absolutely worthless and you're still in your sin. So now here's the truth that you've got to respond to. The truth. The grave is conquered and death is defeated. And through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, him taking our sins in himself and dying in our place, and God raising him from the dead, you and I have the hope of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection, and the hope of a new body forever in heaven. Now, that's the truth. But here's the therefore. Look at verse uh, 58. All right, now this is it. Since God has done all this for us in Jesus, this is what he says. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He's just been talked about death is conquered. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, in light of the fact of what Jesus did for you, in light of the fact that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, in light of the fact that you're going to have a new body, he said, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of of the Lord. For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know what he said? He said, Fred, he said to each one of you, in light of what I have done for you in my son Jesus, in the light that you're going to live forever in heaven with a new body, in light of all that, he said, I want you to do something. I want you to serve me. I want you to serve me out of absolute gratitude out of absolute gratefulness. He said, therefore, he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. He said, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your life. Listen, I'm telling you, God said, now you're going to spend eternity with me until you get there. I want you to be steadfast in serving me. That means consistent. I want you to consistently hear my voice and consistently do what I tell you to do. I want your life to be full of good works that are produced in you by the Holy Spirit. He said, therefore, you be steadfast in serving Jesus. He said, therefore, you be immovable. Don't let, op- don't let the opposition stop you. Don't let the difficulty keep you. He said, you be steadfast and you be unmovable as you serve the Lord. I mean, it's not just Sunday morning from 1030 to 1130. I mean, 24-7. He said, listen, you're headed for heaven. You're headed for a new body. You're going to have a glorious eternity. But until you get there, you serve the Lord. You serve him steadfastly and you serve him immovably. Don't you let anything stop you from serving the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. In other words, more and more. When you abound, you go from more to more. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, that's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to you. It doesn't matter whether you're 15 years of age are 50 years of age, are 70 years of age, or 80. It doesn't matter. This is what God says. You're headed home. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of the grave. But I'm going to tell you, on the way home, don't you, don't you let up. Don't you slack up. Don't you back up. He said, I want you to always abound 
in the work of the Lord. Hey, there's no such thing. Nobody ever retires from the service of the living God. Well, when are you going to retire? Baloney. When I get to heaven, I've got all eternity to retire. Listen, somebody says, well, you don't want to burn out. Praise God, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And that's why the Word of God says, listen, every day of your life is precious. Every day of your life is important. There are no unimportant days. He said, now I'm telling you, Jesus conquered death. He destroyed the power of the grave. One day you're going to get a new and glorified body that's absolutely wonderful. And you're going to spend forever in the presence of God. But until you get there, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, that's a pretty profound therefore. Then there's one other one I want to show you. It's along the same line. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, Paul speaks a great truth about death. You know, just two weeks ago, well, it was just a little over a week ago, I had two funerals in the same week. One person was 43 years of age. The other one was 61. It's very obvious that death is no respecter of persons. I mean, none of us are, quote, immortal. I mean, we all have a mortal body. And so the Bible says man's greatest enemy is death. One of the richest men in the world that ever lived was so afraid of death that he would not even face life. I wish I could remember his name now. Some of y'all remember later because I hadn't planned on using this. So what he did, he, 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 he isolated himself in a penthouse, put blinds and uh, sh- shades all over all of his windows, would not l- let no light in, and was absolutely had a phobia about germs, and was care. I mean, he just lived in absolute denial and, and, and was afraid everything would have germs on it. And, uh, and, and he lived that way, but guess what? He was trying to say death would never touch him, but he died, just like everybody else. And, and a, a multi-billionaire. All his money couldn't save him. All of it. So here's the deal. Everybody has that enemy. So the, the good news is, though, in Christ, death is conquered. The grave is overcome. We got a new body, serve the Lord. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 5. And you know what he says? Don't be afraid of death. He says, now don't be afraid of it. Now, it's amazing how he just talks about death. If you would look in um, uh, verse 18 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, it says, while we do not look at the things that are seen, we're not keeping our eyes on what we can just see. The things which are seen are, are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So he's talking about, look, we're going through trials. We're going through difficulties. The things we see, we just don't look at what we can see. They're temporary. We look at what we can't see. There's an unseen world, and they're eternal. But now look what he says. He says, I'm not sweating dying. That's no big deal to me. Look what he says in verse 1. We know that if our earthly house, 2 Corinthians 5, 1, this tent is destroyed We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, you know what he calls your body? He calls it a tent. 
I should have asked you this morning, how's your tent doing? You say, what do you mean, brother? I mean your body. You, he calls it your tent, where your spirit and soul lives. I said, Paul, I mean, think a little Listen, I'm spending a lot of money on this tent. I mean, give me a break. He says, we know that if our earthly house, he calls it earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We've got a building from God, a house made, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now look at verse 2. He says, sometimes we just say, I'd just like to leave this tent, and I'd like to move out of this house. Now, you know, sometimes you feel bad, and sometimes you're tired, and, and sometimes you see, as you get older, you know, you say, well, man, I just, I, I wouldn't mind just leaving this house and getting a new house. wouldn't mind leaving this tent and getting a new tent. Look at what it says in verse 2. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our habitation, which is from heaven. He said, sometimes we groan in this body, but we're looking forward to our new house, and we're looking forward to our new tent. Verse 3, if indeed having been clothed, we shall be not, shall not be found naked. Now here's verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. We, we don't want to just not exist. But further clothed that this mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now, he has prepared this very thing for us as God, who has given us his spirit. You know, as I was reading this, I was thinking about people who, some of them were in their 50s, but were battling terminal illness. Some of them were in their 70s. It didn't matter. But they were believers. They loved God. They had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal them. But for some reason, the healing didn't come. And finally, they would say to their family, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. I'm just ready to go home. And I want the Lord to come on. See, that's what uh, he's saying here. Uh, For we who are in this tent sometimes groan, being burdened. Well, Lord, I... I mean, I'm ready to go for my new body. I'm ready to go for my new tent. And I'm telling you, I've seen that over and over again in God's children. And and God had not chosen to heal them physically, but he was going to heal them eternally and spiritually. And they'd just simply say, hey, this body's wore out. This tent's wore out. And frankly, I'm just ready to leave it and to go on to be with Jesus. You see, let me tell you what that shows you. There's no fear in death. No. Jesus took the sting out of death. He did. He, he, he took the fear out of the grave. And that's why we can look at it and say, well, hey, you know, God, I got a new tent and a new body. Lord, I'm frankly ready to leave this one. If you want, I, I wish you'd come on and get me, Lord. And so oftentimes he does. So quickly. So oftentimes he does. So we can relate to what, what Paul is saying here. And he says in verse 5 that the one who's prepared for us to face death and, and this earthly tent and body is, is God who's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit assures us everything's okay. Everything's okay. He assures us. Okay? Now, verse 6. I love this. See, this is a great truth. While we're in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But wait a minute. When we're absent from the body, we're with the Lord. Now, get this. It's just like that. It's just like that. It's just like that. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. 
just like that. Some people believe in soul sleep. That's just one thing about that. That's not true. It's a lie. I mean, just like that. Listen to what it says. So we're confident. Verse 6 now, I'm reading the Word of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. We're confident that while we're home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. As long as I live in this earthly house and earthly tent, I'm not seeing Jesus face to face, and I'm not in His unbroken presence. I'm not in heaven. So while I'm in this body, I'm absent from the Lord. Verse 7, we walk by faith. We're trusting the Lord. We're not by sight. We know it's real. We know to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. But we we hadn't seen him, but we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, don't miss it. We're confident, yet are well pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says, in verse 6, we're confident that while we're at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. But he said, I'm going to tell you something in verse 8. We're confident and well pleased to be absent from this body because we know if we are, we are present with the Lord. Now, I want to ask you a question. How do people live and how do people die who do not have the assurance in their hearts of the Holy Spirit that the moment that physical heart stops beating and the moment that spirit leaves the body, they're going to be with the Lord. Now, I want to ask you something. How do you live? And how in this world do you face death when you do not know that, man, I know one day I'll be absent from this body. But I'll tell you, I will immediately be in the presence of the Lord. How do you live and die if you don't know that? Someone said there, there are no atheists in intensive care. He said, let me tell you something. You don't have to fear death. You're going to give up this old tent and this old house. God's going to give you a new tent and a new house. And you just are confident. The long as you're in this body, you're not with the Lord. But you're also confident, hallelujah, when you leave this body to be absent from the body. It's to immediately be in the presence of the Lord. Now, that's the truth. But, oh, there comes a therefore. He said, in light of this, in light of this, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, therefore, now, now look in verse 9, here's the therefore. How do you respond to that kind of truth? This wonderful truth that in Jesus we live forever. That in Jesus instantly to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How do you, how do you respond to that glorious truth? Therefore, we make it our goal. This is our goal. That whether we're present with him are absent to be well-pleasing to him. He said, you know, my whole passion is until I go to be with Jesus is to please God. That's what it's all about with me. He said, my aim is, well, if I'm, if I'm present with him, praise God, it's done. But if I'm absent, my aim is to be pleasing to him. 15, 1 Corinthians, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. No, and here he says, no, I just got one thing. Whether it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know when I'm going to go be with the Lord, but I'll tell you till I do. Today I want to please God. Oh, today I want to please God. 
I want to please God by living a surrendered life and letting Jesus be the Lord of my life. Man, I want to please God by, by living a, a holy life and obeying God. And, and I want to please God by loving my wife. And I want to please God by loving my husband. And, and I want to please God by loving the body of Jesus Christ. And I want to just please God by enjoying him forever on this earth. Listen, Paul said, I'm not worried about dying. That's no big deal for me. Sometimes I want to go on. But he said, until I do, this is my therefore. It is my goal to please God till I get home. Hallelujah. You can please God. You can please him. Every day by just surrendering your life to him. By every day walking in repentance, God, forgive me of my sins and help me not to sin. Every day by loving God with your whole heart and loving people and just, just walking with the Lord and just desiring, Lord, I don't want anything in my life that doesn't please God. Oh, man, that needs to be our passion. Because when we get to heaven... It's going to be so awesome and so glorious. We're going to say, well, Lord, why did I do so little on this side? And why was I not closer with you on this side? Lord, why did I miss such wonderful opportunity till I got home? There, there's another verse right there on that, therefore. Look at what he says. We make it our aim, therefore, to please God. Look at verse 10. Are you ready for this? Woo. We're all going up here before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know what he, he said, let me tell you one thing. When I leave this tent and I leave this house and I go to get my new tent and my new house, that glorified body. He said, listen, did you know I'm going to have to give an account to God? Look at that verse. It's right there. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That, may, that we may receive the things that we did in our body, whether good or bad. I said, man, Paul, you really knew how to drop the hammer here. You talked about all this glorious things that we we're going to experience and that your goal was to please God. But he said, by the way, I need to remind you that you will give an account to God. Woo. The first time I ever heard a message on the judgment seat of Christ, it changed my life. Radically impacted me. Because the preacher said, as a believer, your sins are forgiven. And you will never be judged for your sins. They're under the blood of Christ, forgiven and forgotten. But you will be judged not for your sin, but for the way you served the Lord. And he called it our work. He said, the foundation is Jesus. No, the, the foundation is the apostle prophets. Jesus is a cornerstone. And we're all building a life on Jesus Christ. He said, now you better be careful how you build your life. You can build with gold, silver, and precious stones. It'll stand the test of judgment. Or you can build your life with wood, hay, or straw, and it'll be burned up, and all you'll have is some ashes of a wasted life. He said, so you better be careful how you build because you will give an account to God. Now, let me just say this. You get up every day. Your desire is to please God. You want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You want him to be Lord of your life. You want him to be glorified in your life. And you want to serve him by the power of his spirit. Hey, listen, it's not complicated. Hey, Jesus, be the Lord of my life today. Holy Spirit, fill me. And everything that I do today, I want to do in your power and for the glory of God. And that's gold, silver, and precious stones. And, if, man, if you do it in the flesh, it's wood, hay, and stubble. But you know what he said? We're going to get a new house. 
and a new tent. It's going to be glorious. And said, so just the instant we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. So, therefore, live a life that pleases Him. And therefore, remember, remember the judgment seat of Christ. You will give an account of yourself to the Lord. And then there's one other verse here. And you've you got to ask God to show you what this means. Would you look at verse 11? He said, therefore, we make it our aim where the present are absent to be pleasing to him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive things done in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11, here it is. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Whoa. You know what Paul said? I know that judgment is real. And I know that if people die in their sins, they will be judged by a holy God and spend a Christless eternity in hell. And so he says, I'm telling you, till I get home, knowing the terror of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, don't die in your sins. Don't die without Christ. Don't live only for this life. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we persuade them that eternity is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Jesus is real. He says, till I go and get my new body, I want to please God. I want to live in such a way that at the judgment seat, God will say, well done. But he also, I want to warn people. So cause the knowing, the terror I'm reading the Word of God, y'all. The terror of the Lord. We persuade men. You know know anybody that's in danger of the judgment of God? You know anyone that's just one heartbeat from eternity and a place called hell? You know anyone who's just that close to experiencing the terror of the Lord in their life? That's why the Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I close with this. Truth is never neutral. It is never neutral. You have to respond to the truth. You either say yes or no. You either obey or disobey. So God gives us two great truths. Heaven, death is defeated. The grave is conquered. We don't have to be afraid to die. We'll give up this tent for a new tent, this house for a new house. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. He said, so therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Therefore, make it your aim to please God in every area of your life. And know, live in such a way that you'll be ready for the judgment seat of Christ. And on the way, knowing the reality of God's judgment, persuade men. See, we've got to respond to the truth. And he tells us how to respond to the truth.